You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. We're currently in a series called The Church, who God has called and created us to be. For more sermons and content, go to sojournmontrose.com. a sermon series entitled The Church, in, in which really we're just trying to discover um, who, who is the church and sort of what, what is it called to do and how, and what does that look like? And so we spent the first three weeks just kind of um, drawing from, from a theology about who God is and sort of what he said about the church. So uh, we talked about how the church is the people of God that he, uh, that he intended to have for himself from the beginning, like that that was his purpose in creation. We talked about how he secured that people now through Jesus, that through Jesus, um, a people who couldn't accomplish righteousness for themselves have been given it by Jesus and are now adopted into the family of God and how we are also, the church is also the fellowship of the Spirit, meaning the place in which the Spirit dwells and by the Spirit's power the gospel is constantly, consistently, day by day as we journey throughout our lives, applied to our lives. Um, and that that happens in a context in which we work that out communally. And so the last couple of weeks we've just been walking through what is it that the church actually does. So we've talked about preaching the word. We've talked about making disciples. We've talked about being disciplined together for holiness. We've talked about being led by qualified leadership. And today we're going to talk about um, church membership. And so it's obviously um, somewhat strategic in the sense that we have a covenant membership class coming up. Um, but I think it's also just broadly helpful, no matter no matter what context you find yourself in, whether you're uh, a Christian in the room today looking for a place to join, whether you're a Christian in the room today that doesn't feel like you should join a place, or whether you're not a believer that wants to know what all this weird stuff is about. Um, so it should be helpful in, in all of those um, avenues together. So here's what we're going to do, just so that you're aware. We're going to look at really just sort of three case studies uh, from the scriptures uh, where, where we sort of see at least at least a hinting or or, or a, a glimpse of what this church membership might might look like from the scriptures um, but what I wanted us to do first was was come straight out of Ephesians chapter 4 and there are a couple things that are sort of um, not necessarily completely pertinent to the sermon that I want to address from it as well and I re-hinted to it a little bit um, earlier. But so Ephesians chapter 4 says this, and this is just Paul writing to a church um, in, in Ephesus. And he says this, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called, to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so before we even get started, let me just say this. Um, there, there, there is probably a temptation for us in, in our culture today to sort of pick a, a brand of church that we particularly like, whether it's a certain denomination or network or whether it's a, a certain name. Maybe you just you like Sojourn, you like that it's kind of set up the way it is, whatever it might be. And yet what we see here is that that the church is is sort of two things at, at one time in that it is a church universal, meaning that, that all Christians all places at all times are the church, right? So, so, so we are joined together by the work of Jesus with Christians all over the world. And yet today what we're going to try to discern from this is what does it look like then to be a faithful Christian in a specific location? What does it mean to gather with the saints in a particular area for the sake of 
being disciplined for holiness and to grow in Christ-likeness. What, is, what does that look like for us? But before we move there, let's just address sort of this idea of, of the church universal. Um, again, a lot of what we're going to talk about today is this is sort of how sojourn operates, right? So th- this is sort of how we look at scriptures and we interpret it and we've kind of made sort of a, a contextual decision as to how we feel like we can be faithful to these texts here and now. But it doesn't mean that we're that we're better. We're not trying to say that this is the only way or that there are not other valid and real ways that this happens in other churches. So please do not interpret my words this morning as sort of a, a, a large-scale critique of everything that is not sojourn. Because I really believe that Ephesians chapter 4 is true and that although he is writing to the church at Ephesus, I believe that he is saying this about all believers. That all believers are one in Christ. So if, so if you've called upon the name of Christ for salvation, if he's done that good work in you by the Spirit and you receive that, then you're a part of the body of Christ at large. And so we should not only champion what is happening here at Sojourn, but we should be champions of the cause of Christ in all its different forms. Right? So if the, if the gospel is, is preached, if disciples are being made, if people are being disciplined for holiness, if there is a, a, a common membership, a common bond in Christ by the power of the Spirit, we should be fans of those things. Okay? And then, and then sort of the second point underneath that is just, look, uh, if you haven't heard about it, um, there, there are more than a few, more than a few Christians in Iraq and and really, I mean, specifically, that's kind of the, the highlighted tense area right now in the world in which Christians are, are, are literally, they're being slaughtered because of their faith, right? But, but that happens all over the world. And so we, when, when they suffer, we suffer. And so I, I just want to take a moment right now and just, just pray, if you'll pray with me, um, for our brothers and sisters that are, that are all over the world, okay? Father God, again, we just come before you this morning, Lord. We humble ourselves in your sight. Um, But Lord, we also come to you boldly, knowing that because of Jesus, we can come before your throne of grace um, with confidence, knowing, Lord, that you hear uh, our our supplications, you hear our prayers. And so, Lord, we come uh, to you on behalf of of those around the world who are our brothers and sisters, with whom we are one because of the gospel of Jesus. And Lord, we ask, Father, that you would protect them, Lord, that you would... um, that, that you would usher them, Lord, into your kingdom in, in, in whatever way that you see fit, Father. We ask, um, Lord, that you would bless them, that you would prosper them, Father, that you would uh, shield them and protect them, Lord, that uh, a faithful gospel witness would remain in all of these places. And I pray, Father, that no matter where anyone in this room ends up, Father, that you'll give us the strength and the courage to remain faithful to the truth of the gospel, no matter what trials or tribulations come our way, that we might look to the example of our brothers and sisters in Iraq specifically, and that we might draw courage and inspiration um, from their from their worship of you, from their from their willingness, Lord, to count their life nothing on account of knowing you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for, for letting me do that. Um, all right, so in Ephesians, we clearly see, one, that there's, that there's church universal, but there's also a local expression of the church, right? That's implied by the fact that this, that this letter is actually written to a church at Ephesus, right? So uh, today we're going to talk about meaningful 
memberships. And like I said, we're going to look at three case studies um, that are sort of a clear evidence for what I or what I believe to be clear evidence for local church membership. So um, if you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 2. Um, that's where we're going to hang out for just a minute. Um, and so you can call, if you're taking notes, this is, this is case study one, whatever. I don't have a nifty name for the point or anything like that. So, uh, but Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 36, and we're going to walk to verse 41. I'll give you a second to get there. If, if, uh, if you don't have a Bible, I urge you to pick one up. I want your eyes to make contact with this. Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 36, starts like this. Let all the house of... Let me give you some background. I'm sorry. Peter is preaching here to uh, people who are not believers. It says this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. So the people listening were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So if you've, if you've been here over the duration of this series, you, you can already, even now, sort of begin to see the, the sort of the logical flow that we've approached this series with, right? We see sort of the same thing happening um, here that, that we've been talking about. So what, what happens? Peter goes out among those who are not believers. He preaches the gospel, right? He tells them that this that this man, Jesus Christ, this man that these people had crucified was Lord God, and he is also capable of being their Savior. Like that's, that's, that's what he's preaching. He's preaching that message there. And there's, there's a response, right? Like the people that are listening are like, okay, so what do we do with that? Like if, that, if that's true, and I, and I really do believe that that's true, what, what am I to do? How am I to respond? And Peter says, repent and be baptized. And so in, in that moment, what happens? The, the word is preached, disciples are made, right? And then they're baptized into what I would, what I would say, the, the membership of the local church, right? So you have sort of this progression. The word is preached, disciples are made, they're baptized into the local congregation that is, that is led by qualified leadership, so on and so forth. So I think there's some things that we can deduce faithfully from particularly verse 41 of, of this text. So what does verse 41 says? It says, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So you're, pro- you're probably thinking to yourself at this point, how, how is he going to sort of do gymnastics to get us to church membership from that text? And, and I, would, I would hope that um, it wouldn't be seen as that way. But so let's just break this phrase down very simply, right? People received his word, so they became disciples in that moment. They were baptized, and they were added. And so the, the, the immediate question that we should sort of begin to ask ourselves is, added to what? Added, added to what? I mean, I think it's a valid question. So, so it's the, Luke, the, the man who's writing this book, is saying that 
people came to know Jesus. They were baptized into the faith by the apostles. And they were added to something. Now, I get that many of us can look can look at this and sort of say, okay, something could be anything, right? They, they could have been added to anything. It's not clear in here as to sort of what they were added to. So you're halfway sort of to making a compelling argument, but you're not quite there yet. Because it doesn't specifically say they were added to the local church, does it? There's another thing that I think that we can deduce from this. Right? It says that they were added that day, and then it says about 3,000 souls. Right, so, so people were not only added, but they were counted to the degree that somebody actually knew how many people were added to this something or other, whatever it might be. Right, so some, some of you might say, um, okay, about 3,000, that's kind of an informal number. It doesn't really give us a reliable record as to, as to whether or not, one, people were actually added to something, and, and really, two, what that amount even matters. And yet, I think if we just move to the very next set of verses, we will be able to pretty clearly conclude that they were added to the local church, like that they became members of a local church because it says this and so this is what happens right receive the word baptized added that day 3,000 souls and then what happened and they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles and all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. So what we begin to see is that the gospel is preached, disciples are made, they're baptized into what? Into the local church. So although there is absolutely this idea of the universal church, meaning that all Christians at all times join together in Jesus, there is also a faithful local expression that that when we preach the good news and disciples are made, these new disciples are added into. They're baptized into the fellowship that is a, a local expression of the church because what they then go on to do locally is together they begin to do all these things. They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching. They break bread with one another. They gather together in the temple day by day. They pray with one another. Does that begin to sound a little bit like Ephesians 4? So the progression is as follows, right? Preach the word, disciples made, join to a local church, together being disciplined for holiness. That's what's, that's what's happening here in verses 42 through 47. Under Jesus, the chief shepherd and the qualified local leadership. So that's sort of our, our first case study. We go to Acts. This is the, that's the inception of the church, right? This is, this is what happens. Up until this point, they've been sort of coward, coward, cowarding out sort of in this, in this room, just kind of hanging out waiting for instruction from Jesus, like, what, what are we going to do? He, he said he was going to send power, but, but now he's gone, and I don't know what's happening. And then he sends the Spirit, and this is what happens, right? Now, um, so the, the second case that we're going to look at is Hebrews 13. And we touched on this a little bit last week, so um, if you were here, uh, that should be recognizable for you. But So we're going to go uh, there. So the first question we, we asked in, in terms of church membership was, 
you know, these people are added to what? That was kind of case one. Case two, submission to and accountability for who, right? So Hebrews 13, verse 17 says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, now, Hebrews is a book that is written all about, the, the authorship is kind of debated, so you, you can't really make a, a good statement there, but it's all about the supremacy of Christ. That's basically the, the entire book of Hebrews, how, how Jesus is our high priest, how Jesus is the one who secures for us righteousness, how it's because of Jesus that we can come with boldness and confidence before the throne of God. And then at the conclusion of the book, we arrive at 13, and, and he's giving some, the author is giving some instructions. And we arrive to verse 17, right? And so the question that we have to ask ourselves here, I think, is really two things, right? So it says, obey your leaders and submit to them. All right, so we're, we're a people, at least here at Sojourn, we want to be faithful to what the Bible asks us to do, Right? Like we believe that in the Bible you find everything you need for life and godliness, that that what God has asked us to do, what, what we've been asked to do in light of Jesus' good work on our behalf is plain and clear. And so when it says obey your leaders and submit to them, we have to ask ourselves, one, who are who are these leaders? And 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 if if I don't know who they are, how can I then submit to them? Right? So, so the question you have to ask yourself, if you're a Christian in the room, um, are you in submission to any kind of leadership? And then two, how can you actually follow a biblical, a clear biblical directive in a leaderless church or apart from the church completely? Right. So because let's just backtrack a little bit and remind ourselves that in this culture right now, sort of uh, this idea of responsibility or membership or being sort of or even even just the word submission kind of throws us off, right? Like everyone in here is like, it's good for you because you're the pastor. So, you know, you, you just get to sort of sit back and go, submit to me. And that's, not, that's not at all what's, what's happening here. And you'll, you'll go on to, to see that in just a second. But, but this, is, this is a moment in which the, the scriptures do exactly what they, what they always do, Right? That it's like a double-edged sword, that it, that it pierces straight to the heart, that it, it confronts our ungodliness, that it confronts our desire to be our own lords, to be accountable to no one. Right? Like, that, that, that that's actually really what, what sin is sort of all wrapped, wrapped around and based on, isn't it? Whether you go back to the garden and you look at Adam and Eve and you say, look, they just didn't want to be under the Lord's rule. They wanted to rule themselves. Right? Like, that was the temptation. You can be like God. And so in this, what, 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 what's happening here in terms of God setting up a qualified leadership for his church that is, that is led first and foremost by Jesus through elders and deacons, right? That what he's doing here is he's confronting, one, our sinful desire to sort of be Lord of our own life, but he's also giving us over to the gracious reign and rule of Jesus. And because here's the thing, you were, all of us, all of us were created to be in submission, in submission to God. That's, that's what we were created for. And that's why we, we, even, we, even if we're not Christians in the room this morning, we look to other things to rule us. And although you wouldn't, you wouldn't claim that, the fact of the matter is that many of us in the room may be ruled by a, a pursuit for money. 
Like, and that that's what is our master, right? Like, that that's what determines the things that we do. And so what, what, um, what God is doing here in and through the scripture is reorienting us to the gracious reign and rule of Jesus. So he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. And then it says this, for they are keeping a watch over your souls. So this is, this is where I get to be selfish in this text. Okay, because, because it says here, submit, o- obey your rulers, right? So, so you should be underneath some form of leadership somehow. That may be exercised differently in other churches. We have a, a way that we set it up here. But then also it says that those who are leaders are accountable for you. Like that they keep watch over your souls, right? That's what he goes on to say. Keep, they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account so my question is, if there's, no, if there's no sort of semblance of membership or no way of identifying sort of who's in, who's out, to, to put it crassly, like if there's no way of doing that, one, how do you as a Christian know who your leaders are and submit to them? And then two, how do your leaders know who to faithfully love and care for? How do they know who they're going to go before the throne of God himself and, and give an account for So again, so selfishly, right? Like, I want to know. (laughs) I want to be able to say, okay, yeah, like that one we we need to deal with, right? (laughs) Or or like this one, great, this guy's going to make me look really good. But, you know, that's a joke, so just relax. (laughs) Everyone's like, I don't know how to take that. Um, But seriously, we have to answer those questions, right? How, how, how How do we follow a simple, clear, biblical, direct if we don't have some way, some measure of, of sort of counting the flock. And then the, the third question I would ask that is not sort of explicit in here, but I think it is part of this keeping watch over your souls portion, right? We talked a couple of weeks ago about this idea that we collectively together are being disciplined for holiness. Right, like that. So, so that when when there's sin, when there's readily apparent sin, that, that we go to our brother, we try to keep that tight knit. We try to we, we rebuke them in private. It's not like everybody's business to know, but that we go and we try to settle those things. And then that that as it is ignored, or maybe or maybe somebody just says, you know, what, I don't feel like I need to listen to that. That we grab, you know, a couple more. We try to keep that blast radius small, but that it sort of over a progression of time if there's sort of this unrepentant, unloving, unwilling to change heart, like that that, that that actually reaches the church and that the church is then supposed to sort of expel a member, right? Someone that was a previous member. I right, see Jesus sort of giving instruction for that in Matthew chapter 18. And so the, the, the question we have to ask ourselves is how, do, how, do we, how are we faithful to that? If Again, if we don't know sort of who it is that comprises this people. Right, to put it, again, to put it crassly, how do you kick someone out if there was never an end? And so that's that's just uh, case study number two, and we're going to go to the third one right now. 1 Timothy uh, chapter 5, uh, we're going to grab verse 9. So 1 Timothy 5, here's, here's what's happening. Um, Paul is writing to, to his protege, uh, a young guy named Timothy, um, who is hanging back at the church at Ephesus right now, essentially. And, and so Paul is kind of saying, look, I, I'm going to go over here and do ministry. 
uh, in this area, but I, I am confident that God has given you the gifts to, to sort of lead and care for this church in my stead. Here are my instructions. And so that's what that's sort of what chapter 5 finds you in. Um, and chapter 5, verse 9 says this, and this is going to be really weird, so just relax, like I'll, I'll, I'll make it work. Um, yeah. Verse 9 says this, Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband. So let's just stop right there before we get um, any more confused maybe than we already are. But so so Paul says, let a widow be enrolled. So again, we have to ask ourselves, what what is enrollment? And why? Like, so if you come from a Baptist background, you're starting to be like, yes, like, you know, like enrolled. I like this idea. You know, let's let's check off attendance every week and things like that. And and, and that's not where we're going. But um, but it says, let a widow be enrolled. And so we have to ask ourselves, enrolled into what? Enrolled into what? And I, I would argue that, that what's happening here in Ephesus is something really beautiful and, and something that the gospel calls us to do in that the church at Ephesus is endeavoring to care for the widow. Right? So there's, there's, uh, there's words really all throughout the scriptures in which, in which the people of God are called to care for the widow, for the orphan, for the, the helpless, the fatherless. Right, And so uh, the church at Ephesus has set something apparently up in order to do that, something in which this woman, this widow, could be enrolled into. Right? So the, the objection that you might have, though, is how do we know that this program belongs to a local church and that it's not maybe just a parachurch organization, right? How do we know that it's not you know just sort of its own entity? Well, if we go down, skip down to verse 16, he gives some more instructions about how to handle widows in this program. But verse 16 says this, If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. And so what what does this imply? Again, so we individually sort of care for widows, especially in our own families if we're Christians. But then it goes on to say that who is it that's caring for the widows that literally have nobody? says, let the church not be burdened, so that it, meaning the church, may care for those who are truly widows. Right? So again, and this is talking about sort of an an, an internal um, widow care program that's happening here in the church at Ephesus. And so if the church is supposed to care for people, not, not just widows, right? So this is... Again, this is a myopic example. This is one example in the scriptures. But if we are to collectively together care for those among us who are widows and orphans, those who are members of the body, again, how are we going to do those things? Obviously, we're we're called to care for people outside the church as well. But systems of care are also built into the local church itself to be benefited from by the local church. So these are, these are sort of the three things that, that I wanted us to just kind of take a look at. And I think we can, we can, again, clearly, faithfully see that although it's not explicit in terms of here are the exact instructions of how to do church membership, we can see that there is some way in which members of a local body are identified in, in these texts. Like, again, right? So, so no clear set of instructions. So, so. There may be churches that you've experienced that that do things differently from the way Sojourn does it, right? Um, But there is, again, an an implication here that there must be a way in which, one, 
leaders can be known, two, members can be known and cared for and loved and served and groaned together for the sake of a local community. And so I just don't think that it's it's very easy for us to, to sort of wiggle out from underneath that weight. That in sort of an age where non-committal is, is priority, where non-committal means I still get to sort of be in control based on whatever my emotions are at that moment, that this challenges that. That if, that if you are a Christian in the room, that you are called to belong to a local church. You, you belong to the church universal, absolutely. But you are also called to step into, to love, to serve, to be a part of a local expression of that body. And that you can't, you can't wiggle out from underneath that. Listen, it would be much easier for me if there was no church membership. It would be much easier for all of us if that didn't exist. And yet what the Lord has called us to is not what's easy, but what's best and what will glorify Him the most. So, just to conclude, I'm going to give you a couple of things uh, sort of to to take from this. Uh, Number one, I've already said it multiple times, but just to be clear, the Bible is clear that church membership is biblical. It's not clear that churches in the Bible do membership like we do. There's no specific instruction to set up a a Saturday class, explain the doctrine, have people sign a form, all of those things. So that's not in there, but it is clear that churches, local churches, should have some way of understanding that exchange. That exchange of the leadership saying we we take on the humble and, and gentle and loving care of your soul. And, and you exchange that with a, a, a willingness to submit, a willingness to, again, be humble and to serve alongside your leaders. The second thing, every Christian is a member of the universal church and should be a member of a local church. Listen, I, I just want to be clear about this. You're not going to offend me if Sojourn is not that place for you. I recognize that there are things that, that we do here at Sojourn. There, there are things that, that we would consider non-essential doctrine, meaning meaning things that we have an, an opinion on, something uh, not just an opinion but a conviction on, that, that maybe you won't share. And, and that's, that's okay. It really is. But look, you need to find somewhere that you can belong Okay, so if that's if that's Second Baptist down the street, if that's Canvas Church up the road, there's a new church that's planting here in Montrose. One of my good friends is planting it called the Bridge. You need to go there. That's fine. Look, part of me uh, being faithful to what the Lord has called me to do in terms of uh, loving and caring for people's souls would mean that I would encourage all Christians in all spaces to be a part of a local expression of the body of Christ. Because it's only in that that we get to experience these things together. That we experience being disciplined for holiness. That we experience being led well, right? So look, again, I don't care if it's you, but pick somewhere and be there and serve there and love there and and be in submission there. And all of those wonderful and beautiful things that sound so completely contrary to everything that we could possibly want, which is more about me and what I want to do and my wealth and my time and my things. Um, So, the third thing I want to do just real quickly is, is then now tell you why we have come to membership. Number one, it's a means of having a local expression of the church to add people to. So when people come to know Jesus, we want to be able to say, look, you're a part of this family. 
Second thing, it's a means of having clarity with regards to who members submit to and who elders humbly serve. Right, so we want to be very clear in, in our in sort of our understanding of, of who's who's doing what and where and why. And so if you come to the class on, on Saturday, what you'll see again is look, this is this is what the leaders of this church promise to do on your behalf, and this is what you promise in return. And so there's no like I said, we wanna we wanna put everything out on the table. We just wanna be very honest about who we are. Because look, again, we're we're just we're one expression. We're not better, we're just different. That's it. And so if you want if you want to come be a part, like look, we just want to be real honest. Because in those moments when it comes time to be disciplined, in those moments where it's like, hey, look, we need to talk about this because we both signed on to do this thing. Like when those moments happen, we can be very clear. There's no ambiguity. And then the third reason, it's a means of having systems of care set up for the members of our adopted Christian family. So um, this church wants to, as it grows, right, just so have some patience with us. We're less than a year old, but as this church grows, we want to set up systems where people can be cared for, where people can be loved, served in the context of the body, that, that nobody in our church would go, go, go in need or that would live in lack. That we would pool our resources together to care for the widow in our midst, to care for the orphan in our midst, to care for those of us um, who struggle financially. Right? So we want we want to know who, who we're doing that for. We want to know who we're responsible for to set up those systems to ensure that we care for and love people well. And finally, ultimately. It's a means of being faithful and organizing the organic church in such a way that Jesus is glorified in and through his people. Like that's what's happening. That's what's happening in Acts. That's what's happening in, in all in all of these instances of scripture. The organic church is being organized in order that it might glorify Jesus' name by the way she conducts herself. That's it. It's purely and simply that. So just know, look, it's not, it's not about allegiance to a brand. It's not about allegiance even to a certain pastor. It's about following Jesus together. 